Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Jim Combs. Jim is one of those rare individuals who lives and breathes at the experience design intersection of creative, business, and technology. As VP of Experience Strategy and Research at Human Spark, Jim leads development and integration of digital and traditional brands, products, services, and marketing for global Fortune 1000 companies. Jim has an impressive 25-year uh, resume leading successful teams and global strategic level initiatives for clients including Philips Healthcare, 3M, Cox Communications, AT&T, UPS, the Coca-Cola Company, Home Depot, IHG, and so many more. Jim started his career in the music business as a marketing and sales lead for CBS Records in the heyday of vinyl records before leaving after five years when CDs were released to be a pioneer in new media, e-commerce, and enterprise digital transformation. He continues to compose, record, release, and perform his own music, which can be heard on radio and streaming channels around the world. Jim, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Let's rock it. Uh, yes, I'm Welcome so to the studio. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think you are, you, I'd say you be, are the second musician I've had on Revenue Rehab. Uh, Russ Summers also records and, and has some things on Spotify, which I think is just so cool. There's lots of, lots of people in marketing that are musicians. I find that's a, a real uh, solid connection amongst marketeers. Yeah, we're going to have to get a jam session here at Revenue Rehab. I have no musical talents, but I definitely like to dance along. <laughs> there you go. You need, you need to be on both sides of the stage. <laughs> awesome. Well, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me, what is an overused buzzword that you would like to get rid of forever? Well, I think the one, the phrase that I uh, would love to eliminate, it's an old one, but it's one that I continually run into, especially with conversations with new clients, and that's focus group. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one, you know, focus groups have been around forever. Why don't you like that buzzword? How are you seeing people use it? I actually haven't done a focus group in so in so long. It seems like it is it is before the year 2000 was the last time I really did a focus group. And I think that uh, in the experience space, things have shifted. Uh, there's, I think, better use of both qualitative and quantitative research out there. And, and focus groups are, are really, there's a really narrow usage for it. And um, so when, when clients come to me and say, we'd like to do some research, like some focus groups, I'm like, whoa, let, let's step back. <laughs> what are you trying to accomplish? 
Um, awesome. Yeah, I do think that there are some techniques that at a certain point, uh, you know, evolve and either become outdated or start to look really differently. Um, yep. So I can promise we won't talk about focus groups here today. Uh, but now that we've gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to Revenue Rehab? Well, I, I would like folks to understand their customers' real desires, needs, and pain points across the entire customer journey and the, excuse me, the business life cycle. Um, I think that, that once you do that, you can really translate those customer perspectives into service blueprints, um, business requirements for all types of solution experiences, whether that be products, services, messaging, um, as well as identify any potential changes that are needed within a company's culture, their process, their technology to support the experience needed to deliver on the company's brand promise. Awesome. Um, well, I, you know, before we dive into that, because I have lots of questions, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus, it gives us purpose, and most important, it helps our audience to understand what they should expect from our conversation today. So for those uh, that are listening, what are you, what are you, what's your best hopes for our conversation? What do you want people to take away? Well, I hope to at least uh, at a high level talk a little bit about techniques, but more importantly about the strategy and why um, those, those type of techniques, qualitative and quantitative research techniques are important for really putting forth the best experience that you're going to um, deliver in the marketplace. Okay. Well, my first question is just going back to how you phrased the problem. I uh, There was a little bit of an emphasis on real desires and needs. And so I want to dive into that a little bit. I know language is always purposeful. And so my guess from that statement is that you're seeing that people have a perception of what their customers' needs and desires are but those may or may not be the real needs and desires. So I'd love to have you expand on your, your choice of words there. I think, uh, I think our clients uh, and companies in general know their customers very well from their perspective. And over time, they personalize that to reflect what they believe their customers are really doing, the way they're behaving, the way that they are thinking, um, the, what they're feeling. Um, and, but when we, when we often question uh, customers, they haven't really talked to those people uh, to find out. It's, it's more of a, a learned belief over time. And they may have done some element of, of customer research back in the past, but now they've relied more on market research, third-party uh, analysis, and other ways that they believe their customers are um, why they're why they are in a relationship with the, with the companies that they are. And I think that things change, uh, especially since COVID has shifted uh, so many businesses and their relationships with their customers. Uh, that it's it's a it's a totally new ball game, and you you really have to go back to the well constantly to really understand the way um, 
a customer's landscape is is a, a, where they're adapting and where they are changing and what they need um, is changing just to make sure that your your products and services are still aligned with what those customers are trying to do. Perfect. Yeah, I know in my own experience, I have definitely had that happen just real anecdotally talking to a new client about how they found us, what motivated them to choose us versus, you know, whoever else they were talking to. And very often the responses I get are so different from what we expect the motivators to be that those conversations are always a lesson learned for me because there are things that are air quote selling points that, you know, don't always seem like something you should really be talking about. Um, I remember during the, the height of the pandemic, the fact that we had a shorter cancellation clause was one of the differentiators, you know, that like when it came down to two very qualified consultants, they ended up going with us because there was so much uncertainty in the world at that time. You know, there were tons of layoffs and we didn't know how long we were going to be home and all those things. So that safety net for them of being able to, you know, cancel in a shorter period was the final factor. I would have never in a million years marketed the fact that we have shorter cancellation periods. Like, you know, we rarely right. have clients cancel and it's not something you really want to promote. But at that time in that climate, that really was a selling point because everybody was scared to make decisions. I think that that's a, that's a great example in terms of before the pandemic, probably customers were wanting to make sure that you were going to be there for them for a long period of time and that you you had a commitment and so it the the that versus flexibility in terms of how they're managing the relationships the priority shifted and you've got to constantly be up to date with that so that's a great example yeah so we're we're talking about why this is important. We talked about from your your buzzword that focus groups really aren't the way this is happening now. Let's jump into the techniques. How are people really, you know, I talk a lot. I've had several interviews where we've talked about voice of customer. I've had a number of guests who their you know one thing at the end has been talking to customers or talking to the people who talk to customers. So there's definitely a lot of conversation around how do we effectively gain this real insight? What are the techniques that you are seeing that work at this point? Well, there's a, there's, there's a couple of key things that, that we often do is that we start any type of um, new engagement with a customer that is trying to find out their customers um, in a more detail around that is really to understand the organizational point of view, because there is a lot of um, ingrained and uh, institutional knowledge about customers. And so we will often spend a good deal of time just uh, interviewing stakeholders that are, are looking to learn about their customers to understand where are they starting from? What, what are their perceptions? Kind of what's their baseline that they're moving from? And then as importantly, what are they trying to, what from a business standpoint are they trying to accomplish? and really get them to um, become very definitive in that point of view. 
often what we'll find is that there are differences of opinions within an organization. So whether you have a marketing group, you may have a, uh, a product group, you may have, there may be technology involved. So there are the technologists that are part of that senior executives versus line level. There, there may be a lot of different ways to look at the elephant. And what we, what we uh, really strive to do is to get all of that out on the table in a way that as a group, we can uh, put together kind of that starting point, point of view. Not that we're gonna resolve any of those uh, differences, but at least to understand what it is that we are then trying to go out um, to, to understand. The second thing is just really what, what's driving this, this new uh, inquiry into their customers. Is there uh, new products or new services that are getting ready to be introduced? Is there some market impact that they're trying to respond to, uh, new competition or new market, market introductions? that is leading them to um, kind of fill some gaps? Um, are they trying to change their own culture and become more customer-centered? Um, are there new products that are that are requiring a, a different point, point of view or lens on that? So getting that kind of business strategy out on the table as well, you know, are they trying to um, improve revenue, lower costs? There's all sorts of things that may be driving them for this understanding. And then once we do that, it's who do they think their customers uh, are going to provide the best input on answering those questions and providing uh, a, a viewpoint that they could then take action upon. And I think that that's really the key, the key item is that many times research is used as a way to defer or delay action. Um, let's go out and do some research just to make sure we're going in the right direction. So um, what we want to make sure is at the end, end of this exercise that, that what they're learning, they're truly going to be able to, to take action in terms of setting up marketing plans or communications plan, informing solutions, prioritizing a roadmap, those kinds of things. So that's, that's really how we get started before we even start to go out and find the people we're going to talk to or step into the field to do that research. Okay. So I, I love starting with the organizational point of view because I've definitely been a part of organizations and consulted for organizations where I don't think that point of view is the same across the board. You know, there is this differing view of who we're trying to talk to. And in some cases it is Who's the decision maker versus the influencer and, and where should we be, you know, aiming? Um, in some cases, there is truly a fundamental difference in who the buyer really is. And so I, I like that thought process of establishing what the organizational point of view is and, and where there are opposing views do you feel like where people are not on the same page? I know you said in that initial phase, you're not going to resolve that. Do you feel like it is something that is important to resolve? Like, does that, if there is a lot of disconnect there, does that become an objective in really being able to decipher the customer desires and use that to deliver on the brand promise? Like, is it okay for these things to, you know, for people to have differing opinions or do we need to get on the same page? No, I think that's a great question. And what I find is that oftentimes in these situations, 
the differences of opinion are um, are appropriate. Um, a sales group whose whose job is you know revenue, right, to make sure that revenue pipeline is full, um, may have a different per perspective than the people that are designing the product or the service for the customers. And I so I think that it is ultimately you certainly want to align those points of view, have commonality in terms of the ultimate goals that you're trying to achieve. But I think it's okay for those differences uh, to exist for a period of time. And especially up front, I think that it's a uh, it provides a lot of fodder for how we approach a research project. Oftentimes what I'll tell people is that you're going to, you're going to ask us for a scope that's, you know, I'm going to say it's pretty, pretty tight and narrow. You've got some certain things that you're trying to answer. Um, those may, may be very broad questions, but it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's not very deep. It's, it's wide or it's, less less wide and it's deeper or it's very narrow and it's really deep but when we go through this process when you talk to real customers in real situations what you learn from those interactions is going to go far beyond the scope of the actual initiative and is actually going there's going to be a lot of useful data that's going to come out of, of that that will be useful to these other stakeholders that maybe aren't so uh, invested in this specific piece of scope that you're on as you know an example is that the the way um, the type of expertise that's needed once a new product comes out may require that the type of hiring that occurs for um, a product specialist or uh, a sales specialist may shift because of what customers are saying but that may not have anything to do with what we're we're talking to the customer about. So it's a very rich, what I find is, is that when we do this kind of direct interaction with customers, it's a very rich and valuable um, data source. It becomes a, a Bible that can be uh, mined for a long period of time, um, but that's not necessarily what we're going uh, into it. And that's again, why we at least want to know that more 360 view coming into it, just to understand what data not to uh, deprioritize. We want to keep all the data coming, but more, more importantly, you know, getting the answers to the people that need it or informing them that, hey, there's some, there's some learning here that you may want to do another phase of research just focused in that area. Okay. And I know you talked a lot about the data and I'm sure that the data that comes out of this kind of work in, in really uncovering your needs is going to vary business to business. But I know the insights from these projects is the foundation of, of how we, you know, really deliver on that brand promise. So yep. talk to me about what kinds of insights we get out. So, you know, if I'm a, a CMO and I've not embarked on this kind of project, what sort of insights, and I think you hit on a few of those in your last answer, but I'd like to dig a bit deeper in what can I expect to take away from doing this kind of research? I think, I think probably the, the, the thing that comes away uh, with this that may not have uh, occurred in other research, and especially if you're doing quant or 
um, other types is really understanding the why a customer behaves or acts or feels the way that they do. You, in, in, in a lot of ways, what people know is they know what is happening. I can observe, right? I can see my web metrics that people are going here, they're doing this pathing through, and they're abandoning their shopping cart. I'm just using an example, but I don't know why. And so when you, when you actually are working with, um, with real folks uh, in those situations is that you find out what has influenced them before they get into that transactional or that interaction uh, moment, why they are coming there in the first place, what has led them to that point, what, what did they believe prior to that interaction, what did they expect, what then happened, how did they react in that situation? Um, was it a pleasant experience, a, a challenging experience, a, a delightful experience? And then how did, it re how did it go all the way down? And so we're looking at, at really uh, uh, an omni-channel type of experience because they learn about companies before they may hit a specific touch point, whether that's in a store or online. Things happen after the sale. They're stuff gets delivered to them. They have an unboxing experience. They actually try things on or, or use the things that they're getting. They have a service interaction. All of this stuff is, you know, is, is a journey, um, but it's farther belong that rather than, okay, they wound up on my site and then yes, they, they pressed buy and that's my point of view you're getting a much broader set of what's really going on and what the real touch points are and then where you can provide influence into those touch points and make them a, a smoother, better, um, you know, more profitable um, experience for everybody uh, along the path. And then the thing is, is what happens next? So I love to look at, you know, uh, long-term um, uh customer life cycle. So it's not just I'm going to buy one product and go to the end of that, but I'm going to be a repeat customer. So what happens when I come back? How is that experience now? What are my expectations? Well, you should know me. I shouldn't have to put my information in. Um, you know, you, you've now seen what I've bought, so you should provide recommendations. You should do other things. And so we start to look at a long life cycle and then at a certain point, people, you know, they say sayonara and I'm going to, I'm moving to another brand and you want to make that experience um, as positive as possible as well. So I, I think that our perspective is always to, to see things from a broad based, as many touch points along the way with as much understanding of what is influencing and, um, uh, drawing people through, but also preventing challenges and pushing people away um, across that entire experience. Yeah. And thinking about what you just said about um, what pushes people away, when you're going through and doing this research, I know the most common approach is to talk to current customers who did actually purchase. Do you recommend looking at people who have interacted with the brand, but did not buy? Like, is that a part of your research approach? 
Yeah, we will often want to see a mix of people that are um, existing or or at least known customers. Um, those that are no longer, right, may have been a customer in the past, but are no longer customers. And then we also would like to talk to competitive customers um, or, or people that are, are, you know, new into the category space, just to get a, a, a more uh, blank slate view of things. I think you learn from from all of those different perspectives. And um, I, again, you can either do it in a, uh, a branded or an unbranded type of study. So sometimes we'll even go in with as a blind study and we won't even um, tell the folks that we're dealing with who the customer really is. Other times it works to our benefit. So we can we can go dip, down different paths. Okay. And I know in general, I'm a strong believer that the head of marketing drives a lot of initiatives um, and insight that goes just beyond marketing in driving the, you know, business holistically forward. And so there's some pretty obvious benefits to marketing of doing this kind of research and being able to get your messaging and your calls to action and all of those things right. And I think that's kind of the obvious piece of this. Um, but I know in, you know, you talk a lot about delivering on that brand promise, which is so much bigger than just what marketing owns. And so, you know, thinking about the heads of marketing listening to this, I think, you know, if many are like me, you start to think about how this would better my team and my work. But I'd also like to hear some of the applications beyond marketing and how this you know, doing this research can really change the foundation and the fundamentals across the organization? Yeah, that's a great question. What, what we find is that you, you really want to start, at least from a, a, an analysis standpoint, of what is the brand as an umbrella trying to accomplish, right? What is its mission and vision that it's trying to do? And then how, how do those attributes translate into different types of uh, product services channels, um, you know, that they are, that the brand presents itself out in the world. And then from our standpoint, where, where, where does the particular product service customer kind of live in that space? And so we're always trying to map from that top level down brand, brand ideals down perspective, but also then from a customer up, what are they, what are they experiencing? How do they verbalize it? Um, what type of, of attributes are they using? And are those things in alignment? Uh, you know, they, they can be different, but are at least are they aligned in terms of we are, we're, we're meeting um, expectations uh, across or are, or is there some, something going on that is really out of whack? Uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, especially in the uh, in the B two B space, right? There's there's often this thing called uh, billing, right? The payment side of the business is often dictated by systems um, and and fairly rigid um, processes that are associated with those systems. And if a customer has a problem um, with their billing or how they are. Um, buying products and services through them, 
um, that may be totally at odds of the way that maybe an elegant product or service was presented on the front side. And so it's it's not that they don't have that in mind, but it's it's then looking at where might that break down again in these different touch points over the 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 journey of a customer over the life cycle of their relationship, and then how might we be able to then start to identify those as opportunity areas now to spread our our brand equity uh, in places that may not have the spotlight shined on it like other parts of the business. Yeah. And I think we have all experienced that where you have an amazing experience with one part of the business. And then there's something else on the back end that you're like, are these the same companies? Like how, you know, how does this disconnect uh, exist? Um, And my last question, I want to, you know, dig into that a little deeper in multiple parts of this conversation you brought up culture um, and how some of this insight will indicate that there is a change needed in the overall company culture. And, you know, I know at least for me, the first time that I heard you say that there was a, okay, how are these connected kind of moment? And I've been kind of sitting here thinking about it and I have more of an idea, but I would love to hear from you in your perspective, in doing this kind of research, how does that lead to a need for a culture change in the business? Well, I, I think that that cultures are um, oftentimes constructed around the, the the way that a business operates, right? The way that they go, they go to market, and because uh, a lot of businesses, and especially in the B two B space. Um, it's it's very much a an operational a sales operation uh, uh, marketing operation driven business. Um, uh, I'm doing a lot of work in the healthcare space, and those products have been around for a long time. It takes them five years or more to bring a new product to market with all of the regulation that goes on, and so the organizations are really uh, tuned from a culture standpoint for driving that revenue. Um, When you get into a a customer situation and understanding how the customer is changing, that landscape is changing, then there is a culture shift required where you're going from, again, that I think I know what my customer is feeling and believing and acting to I know what they're feeling, believing, and acting because I've actually talked directly to them and I'm getting this insight. Again, it's not it's not verbatim. We're, we have to do synthesis. <clears throat> we have to translate that. But there is a change to say, I know best <clears throat> about my customers to I need to open my mind up a bit and let that customer point of, in, point of view in to the conversation so that I can start to adjust the, the way that I'm selling, right? I'm, I'm going from a transactional sale to a relationship sale. I'm going from selling products and, and you know, physical things to software as a service. I'm going from a buy it and install it and move on to now it's a subscription and it's a long-term. So oftentimes these are, these are, 
things that are accompanying the way that the business is going um, anyway. But what we're doing is we're providing some some support and some foundation that allows us to shift that river, build the bank up so we can shift the river and point it more in that customer center point of view so that it can affect the offers that we're bringing to market, the way that we're doing our pricing, um, the types of products and services uh, that we're, we're designing, the messaging that we're using to convey all of the benefits uh, to, to our customers, and then the way we're treating them uh, post-sale, which is becoming more and more um, of a, a requirement, uh, a consultative uh, point of view as we, as we go forward. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. This is a topic that I I know that I could talk for hours and hours and hours on end because I find it so interesting. And there is so much insight that can come from doing this research. Um, But talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so in traditional therapy, the therapist generally asks the client to do some homework. But in this case, at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. So I'd like to have our listeners to walk away with that one thing. If um, if what you've said has resonated with them, if, you know, if our heads of marketing really want to get to those real desires and figure out how to fundamentally impact the business and deliver on the brand promise, What's the next step? What is that one action item um, that you would recommend that people take? I think it really is uh, assessing how much of the customer voice is present in the current uh, marketing process and how often and frequent um, is that interaction with customers. That is a great first step. If it's already happening a lot, then you're probably in a great uh, place. If it doesn't happen very often or it hasn't happened very often or it's not happening at all, again, that should that should lead you down a path. Awesome. I like that. Uh, Self-assessment is always uh, or generally always a great starting point to figure out if there is a problem um, and, you know, whether we need to, to move forward. Well, Jim, I have appreciated our discussion, but that's our time for today. And before we go, tell our audience how they can connect with you. And if anyone is interested in continuing the conversation, um, how they should reach out. Sure. Uh, First, thank you, Brandy. This has been a fabulous conversation and I could go on and on as well. Um, If folks want to reach me, uh, you can look at humanspark.com. We've got contact information up there. You can also find me on LinkedIn as Jim Combs. At, at at human spark um, as well so those are two great ways to to reach out and uh, get a hold of me love to awesome. continue the conversation yes we will make sure to link to both human spark and your linkedin in the show notes so wherever you are listening or watching this podcast check out the show notes and connect with jim well jim thank you so so much for taking the time today Uh, And thanks everyone for joining us. I can't believe we are already at the end. We will see you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at revenuerehab.live. 
We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.